All right, why don't we get started? Welcome, welcome. Good to see you all. Uh, there are handouts dispersed throughout. We're on number six. It should say at the top six. Doctrine of God, beholding who God is, continued. Last, uh, two weeks ago, so last week we had that one-off uh, on Christian formation. Two weeks ago is when we started the Doctrine of God. There are a couple extra handouts over back there if you're looking for last week. Um, we're going to continue on that. Hopefully get into some, some stuff on the Trinity as well. Uh, and then probably next week we'll wrap up the Doctrine of God as it's formally called. Um, and go into creation. But I will pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, we do give you praise uh, that you have shown yourself to us. Uh, that you have not left us without witnesses to who you are. And so we do ask that uh, you would give us clarity, give us humble hearts and minds to receive the truth of, of all that you are and all that you have promised to be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, since it was two weeks ago, I thought I would add a few notes on last week, last time, just quickly review what we did. I did sort of like an introduction of certain qualifications to just help us uh, understand some of this stuff. So the, those first six that are listed at the top, there's a little bit more notes in the in the uh, handout from last time. So if you're curious, you can see them. It's also all getting posted online. Um, so if you're looking for a handout, it's also online on the uh, What We Believe website or uh, page you know, on our website. And all the classes are getting released as podcasts. So if you miss one. Um, but just to, to remind us, because we are discussing something that should at least fill us with lots of Humility, Blake, that's all of the last five weeks. So, uh, and then there's today's out here on the tables and stuff. Um, this should, should definitely fill us with lots of humility uh, to talk about who God is. So I wanted to just remind us of some key things. Um, the order of knowing only God can define who and how God is. Uh, meaning we don't think we know what love is and then apply that up to God. It should go the other way. Um, our language is analogical, uh, almost like an analogy. Uh, properly approaching God is incomprehensible mystery rather than a problem to be solved. Um, I'll, I guess I, I'm not really going to say anything since we talked about this last time, uh, but just as a reminder, humble posture of receiving truths passed down, Never forgetting the Trinity, uh, and then the thrilling romance of orthodoxy. Uh, there was that quote from G.K. Chesterton. Orthodoxy is not the stodgy, boring thing that it's cracked up to be. It's actually the exciting stuff. Um, it's, it's much easier, and I would say much more boring, to be a heretic. Because it makes a lot of sense, and it's just sort of, you, you sort of take the cheap way out, the easy way out. Um, Anyway, all right, attributes of God. We have this treasure in Westminster, and I'm going to read it again because it is truly remarkable. Uh, the first two sections of chapter 2, and uh, there is an app 
that you can get Christian creeds and Reformed confessions if you're looking for it. We read this last week, but uh, I want to read it again. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute. The larger catechism adds most loving. I don't know why it's not here. Kind of sad. Working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory. Most loving. Oh, there it is. Most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. That's the first section. This is just so you can just sort of take this in. Um, Second section reads, God has all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself. And is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and has most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever himself pleases. In his sight all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsels, and all his works, and all his commands. To him is due, from angels and men, and every other creature, whatsoever, worship, service, or obedience, he is pleased to require of them. All right. I know that that's uh, a lot, but that's also kind of the point. It's meant to be unbelievable in that sense. It's meant to sort of overwhelm us when we try to think of what would it mean to actually define God. Um, And so last week we did talk some about what is often called the incommunicable attributes, attributes that he does not share with us. Um, Simplicity being maybe the hardest one to understand. Uh, God does not compete with, he's not torn within himself. He's He's not like debating, should I be good this time and more focused on judgment next time? In himself, all of his attributes are all perfectly existing, 100%. When it gets played out in time, sure. But we're talking about who God is in and of himself. So, perfectly one, he's not made up of a bunch of different parts. It's not like 10% love, 10% justice, 10% holiness, and it all adds up. No, it's... He's all of those things all at once, Um, which can be hard to understand. I I appreciate, right? Uh, But but it's just sort of one of those fundamental things that like the church has never really. Obviously, we've debated it, but we, but there, 
it's just like we need to believe this. We may not quite understand why, but uh, the other options are worse. <laughs> um, and that's often what we're going to see. Other options are way worse. Um, aseity is a fancy word to say he is self-existent. He exists on his own. He is self-sufficient. Uh, he is utterly unique. He's not like a part of a group of, of these things are like him. He's, there's no one like him or no thing like him. Um, as the confession said, he doesn't need his creation. Which is good news, right? Why? We don't want a God who needs us. Why? Yeah. Right. Like we got to manipulate him into doing good for us or something. Even the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Somebody's car is going off, by the way. I can't hear. Even the sacrifices of the Old Testament, God does not need them. They're not even for him in the technical sense. They are for the people of Israel to say God is gracious, to say God is holy and demands perfection, and to say that your sin cuts him off, cuts you off from him. So even the sacrifices, we're not trying to twist God's arm. And certainly Jesus, and we'll talk about this more in the Trinity, but Jesus is not trying to twist the Father's arm to love us. God the Father sent Jesus. They're all one in motivation and will. Okay. Um, should we discuss this anymore? Move on. Yeah, Ted. Right. If he depended on us, he's not like this really good, he's not reacting. Yeah. And he's also, the, the, the next part is he's not changing. And again, we have to remember we're talking about who God is in himself. Um, he is not, he's not surprised. And, and all of his attributes are not the way we think of them. So I think last time someone asked about jealousy. It's hard for us to imagine jealousy that is also good and righteous or anger. But that's what we have, is, is a God who is perfectly angry. And if you can imagine, like, the perfect sense of justice, like he's, he sees the sin exactly how it is, um, and, and reacts perfectly proportionately. It's really hard to, to imagine, but that is what we have. So if we really want justice, it is a very, very, very high standard. Um, now, again, this is, God is unchanging in this. As he interacts with us, we we receive, we see in scripture aspects where, sure, he's, he's doing different, he's acting in history. So it appears as if he's changing. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so you go with that, take it to the 23rd Psalm, and you see where God wants to be our shepherd. He mm. wants to bring us to the place where the water is there, the mm. grass is there, and to his righteous plan. Mm. Even that is in the disciples' prayer, thy mm -hmm. will be done. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The foolishness of these the bride that he has purchased, the treasured possession. Yeah. Absolutely. Clear the guilty. Clear the guilty, that i.e. us, all of us. Right. Um, and that just reminds me a lot about uh, you know, grace and mercy. And even before Jesus, the kind of revelation of mm -hmm. God and you know, general revelation in the mm -hmm. um, New Testament. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how do, that's a good question. It sort of gets into communicable attributes. Uh, but how can, he, how can we say that God will by no means clear the guilty? How can we say that God is just, perfectly punishing our sin? Jesus. So we're no longer guilty, you could say. And that's going to be one of the focuses of the sermon today. But it's not that he's trying to debate and his love ends up winning over justice. They don't compete. In the history of Revelation, it was, it was not fully revealed how this was going to work out until Christ. How was his justice and his love or his the the... Old Testament way to put it is steadfast love and faithfulness. How are those going to end up both being true of who God is? Jesus. So that's really the best way to sort of summarize how all of these attributes can go together. Can like get truly played out well. Were you going to I thought there was a hand. Uh, the last one, just to mention quickly, for the top of 23, eternal and omnipresent. Uh, God transcends both time and place. So this is often, this is also where, you know, it gets pretty hard to, to describe God's actions 
in a, in a perfectly appropriate way, because it's really hard for us to understand eternity. And understand things that are outside of space. So much of our understanding of things is dependent on physical substance metaphors. Um, but God is not limited by space or by time, even though he interacts with time. Yet our logic tells us there has to be first Right. Right. There has to be something or someone outside of time to get it started. It's just that when you ask, when did he get it started, it's kind of an you know, oxymoron to ask that. When did time start? So does God, since he's outside of time, he exists in all time? Yes. Right. I mean, it, those are sort of sorts of things that blow my mind, but I <laughs> like to play around with it. It is very hard to conceptualize, but yes. That does seem to be what the biblical witness is saying. Uh, we just have to be careful, like how much more we, how much can we say here, you know? Uh, the new heavens, the new earth, heaven now, those seem to be in time. Um, it's hard to imagine our bodies existing outside of time, just the way that we think, like, it's just going to be everlasting. So, some questions I'm reluctant to say a lot more than that, you know. But certainly he's not dependent on time. And also he has ordained it all. All right, communicable attributes. Uh, we've already really just hit on these. Uh, he is wise, powerful, holy, just, good, true. Um, I have a reminder in there just to remember the sort of order. Like if we think we know what holiness is, you don't just say, okay, this is holiness, and then God is that times infinity. Uh, we really want to let God define first what holiness is. So, especially in the history of philosophy around the Enlightenment, the critique became, well, Christians, you're just saying God is a human times infinity. Like you're just taking what you already know and say, well, there must be someone who's much better. That's a very serious critique. And if it's true, it's pretty devastating, right? So we would want to say, no, no, we don't know who God is according to our own construction. Because that would be making God in our image. We want to let God define who he is and let him make us in his image. So that has a lot of implications in our posture to God, um, in our posture to understanding who God is, understanding scripture, those sorts of things. And again, I think it's very appropriate that that would be the case if God really is who God says he is. And if it's all meant to bring him praise. All right, can we, can we move on to start talking about the Trinity?
Trinity often gets a, a, a shaft in, in these conversations. So I want to give it due, our, our due. Uh, and we're going to, I think, we're going to talk more about it some, next week, which is exciting to me. I hope that's exciting to you. Trinity is amazing and beautiful, has a lot of wonderful truths that we can really cling to. Um, obviously, it comes with uh, some mystery as well. So first, just trying to summarize uh, the way Westminster puts it and then how the, the global church has put it. Uh, the confession is unfortunately very brief on this. I think it's because they're brief because they're assuming uh, they're assuming the Nicene Creed. They're assuming the Apostles' Creed. It wasn't a big debate for them. Everyone in the Westminster Assembly, they're Trinitarian. So they're not going to try to really hash this out. Um, so what we have is in the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. We're going to explain some of these words in a second. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. The WLC, what does it stand for? Larder Catechism, you get a gold star, Pat. How many persons are there in the Godhead? Um, so they, they answer it very similarly. And then just ending with, although distinguished by their personal properties. So then question 10 asks, what are the personal properties? It's proper to the Father to beget the Son, the Son to be begotten of the Father, and to the Holy Ghost to proceed from the Father and the Son from all eternity. So that's trying to explain what is distinct about the persons, uh, and yet also holding together the unity. So that's going to be the big, that's the big kahuna. How do you... God has to be one. The Old Testament is very clear on that. And all of the first Christians were good monotheists. God has to be one. Yet there certainly seems to be some clear distinctions. Okay? Um, so, some key, key ideas, key words, just in the Westminster language, is substance versus persons. And even the word substance comes with a lot of problems, but we'll use it because that's what we got. There is only one divine substance, uh, but there are three persons. So they all are of the same stuff, of the same essence. The big word in the fourth century was homoousion. Homo, you can see there, is same or one, same substance, same essence. Not just like, not just a like substance. It's not like there's something called divinity and they all kind of share in that thing that is then some kind of other thing. They all share in that same essence. We're going to, hopefully we're going to see why this is cool and not just confusing. Uh, Equal in power and glory. So there's no hierarchy. There's no, there's no competition. Um, distinct in personal properties or relations. So just think about the father and son relationship. There's no such thing as a father without a son. 
You, you become a father when you have a child, right? So, if the father is eternal, then he must have a son who is eternal. Because otherwise he wouldn't have been father eternally. Then you kind of say the same thing about the son. If he's always a son, he's eternally begotten. And so there's this sense in which they have this constant relationship of literal love, of like other-focused love, eternally. How can there be a question? This is so obvious. Yeah. And I'm actually now doubting whether or not there is a red letter text that specifically uses the word submit, or if we have often overlaid that idea of like Christ submitting to the Father's will, mm-hmm. not my will, but your will. And how do we sort of take away the idea of hierarchy and instead say that submission and that unity is like a co mission? Yeah, just help us work through like if it's not hierarchical, then why do we? Yeah, uh, there's a couple of ways I think that that would help us. One is, is he just doing that during his earthly ministry? Which could be a question. Uh, meaning, part of taking on human flesh is to uh, be in this role of submission. So he's still fully God. And he is choosing to be obedient, even though he has fully chosen to say yes to the Father's will, if you will. Um, is one, one sort of way to think of it. Um, what was the other? Anybody else want to help out? Elena? Mm-hmm. Then you go to John 17, where Jesus says not one will be lost. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus will return when the last person mm-hmm. receives uh, Christ. Mm-hmm. And so they're all united in the purpose that God has. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, the purpose is definitely of one will. Uh, there was one one big heresy debate about how, does, does Jesus have his own distinct will? And, and orthodoxy ended up saying, actually, yes, because it's important he has his own human will. We're going to come back when we talk about Christ more on sp- these specifics, but he has to have his own human will because the glory of the incarnation is humanity now is submitting fully to the divine will. So Jesus' own will is fully submitting to the divine will. Um, so that may also play into your question, Tyler, of um, submit doesn't necessarily mean less, less than, right? So he's choosing to submit, 
he's choosing of his own free will to become human and to die on the cross and be humiliated. And in that moment, he is not sacrificing any of his divinity, which is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. And and so him submitting to the Father's will is and going to the Father, not my will but yours be done. I mean, it's he's the perfect example of how we should submit to the Father's will. Absolutely. So he serves as a necessary example for us and for his disciples. And, uh, Absolutely. So Absolutely. And I know we got we go to Fred first and then Pat, but one thing, it shows us the example of, of what we should be, yes. It's, he's the perfect human, yeah. It's also showing us what God is like. So it's not strange to God because the Father, going back to John 17, the Father actually wants to glorify the Son. The Son wants to glorify the Father. And what's the Holy Spirit's job? To glorify the Son. He's, when, when Jesus is talking about it in John 14 through 16, he's, it's one, it's, he's one with Christ. It's, it's as if Christ is present now by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to point back to Christ. So this submission, in this sense, or, or maybe a better word, is just self-sacrificing love is showing us what humanity is called to, but it's because that's what God is like in and of himself. So the persons of the Trinity, and this also gets to their unity, they are distinct enough to say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So if you're with something else, it's distinct enough but also, the word was God, which holds to the unity. All right. You would think all the questions would be answered now, but maybe there's another question. Fred? <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And yes, I totally agree. I would just add that this is how God acted in the past. And he, it is a sort of clear promised revelation of who he is. So we don't have to wonder, is he going to change in the future? Right, right. That's right. That's right. I think that's true. And even in the history of, of the early church, when they were unpacking this, they were always concerned, and we're going to look at some of these key scriptures, they were always concerned about how can scripture be true when it says X, Y, Z? How can salvation have been accomplished in Christ if X, Y, Z? So I think you're right. They're trying to describe, often in relation to some potential heresy that has emerged, they're trying to describe who God is in a way that's consistent with what his scripture has said. Pat, you want to? Yeah, I just, um, I thought Tyler's question was really interesting and good because, you know, I think also about the garden and, you know, like this cup pass and um, the only thing that I think helps me is just to go back to the covenant of redemption, you know, way, 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 way back covenant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, uh, that he remembered his covenant with the Spirit and the Father. And yeah, this promise that, that was made between the Father and the Son to, to sort of choose choose to do this, to save, to save his people. Yeah, we're going to come back also more. I mean, there's so many cool things in Christology. Because when you think, the Garden of Gethsemane was one of those big test cases. What's really going on here? Uh, and... It's amazing to remember what he says in the Garden of Gethsemane is without sin. So it's a perfect human will in action aligned with the perfect divine will. Which is also, I think, what you see when he's quoting the Psalms. He can say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Without sin. All right. Yes, there should be a lot of silence. Uh-oh. It's more of a practical one. So, a little Bible study in a fast food restaurant. Wonderful. Oh, boy. All right. And he said, good. <laughs> so wow. It would be an interesting question to ask how many out there of or are not Trinitarian? Very few. Uh, the, the most famous is right now is Jehovah's Witnesses or not. But we, I mean, our, our church, and not just our church, the church at large would say, if you're not Trinitarian, you're not Christian. And so... That's why I think Jehovah's Witnesses are outside the church. Mormons are outside the church. I don't think they're Trinitarian. Um, but the vast majority of those who claim to be Christian church 
Churches are Trinitarian. So it's more likely than a guy who was exposed to Jeho a Jehovah's Witness, yeah. All right, uh, so from the Nicene Creed, we say this sometimes in, in service uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Begotten, not made. So making that distinction between created and uh, begotten. Again, to that eternal father and son issue. Being of one substance with the father, by whom all things were made. And then the Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. If anyone wants to talk about the Eastern Orthodox on that, we can later. But there's a, there's a hot debate there, but we're going to skip it. All right. Um, so trying to think back to what I said earlier to Fred, like how, why the Trinity is so important is trying to articulate really why can Scripture still be true in this way. So... Uh, let's get to some of these key ones. The first one being the, the Shema, the thing that every Israelite would have known by heart. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, that's never to be in doubt. Okay? Um, so now the top of page 25. You see in the Gospels and right after Jesus being worshipped by monotheistic Jews. So you could ask, how does that work? Because the one thing a good monotheistic Jew knew is, I'm not going to worship any created thing. What would it take? <laughs> if you're a monotheist, now if you're just a regular Greek pagan guy, you may worship a lot of different things. Right? But they're monotheist. Um, many instances of Jesus doing things that only the God of the Old Testament could or would do. So this is important. He's not just showing off doing wild things. Look at what I can do, like some kind of magician. He's doing things that only Yahweh would do. The big one that, they, that really pisses the Pharisees off is forgive sins. And they are right. Only God can forgive sins. He walks on water, which is not a magical thing. It's to say, I am the Lord of the sea. Same with calming of the storm. And then you have, um, this is by no means exhaustive list, but the New Testament ascribing to Jesus and the Spirit actions and prerogatives that belong to God alone. Yet there also being distinctions within the unity. Um, so we have five minutes left in today. So, any of these passages you want to make sure to get to? Let me see if I want to make sure. The last one there, Romans 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And then I, I mean, I skipped a bunch there, but, and then... For, quote, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's quoting Joel, Old Testament prophet, and saying, if you call Jesus Lord, you are calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. To call on the name of the Lord to be saved in the Old Testament is to call on Yahweh. That's pretty wild for Paul to say. If 
you call on Jesus as Lord, you are calling on the name of the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Um, so that's one of you know several different examples. Now Paul may not have been able to fully explicate what the church came to call the Trinity, but that's okay. Because the Trinity is just saying, this was there all along. And when someone comes along and says, oh, but maybe God, maybe Jesus wasn't God the whole time, eternally, which is what Arius did, then the church is like, whoa, 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 that can't be true. We got to re-under, re-explicate what this means. So oftentimes, understanding of doctrine grows with history. Sure, sure. We still need the Holy Spirit to see it. Oh, for sure. Right. And really, nobody knows until the resurrection and the Holy Spirit is sent. Yeah, definitely. Any other thoughts or questions? I mean, there's this question at the very end that we're trying to bring in every week how ought this to impact our prayer character and community we're going to come back to more on the trinity if you're if you're unsatisfied you should be there's a lot more cool things to say about the trinity uh, so we're going to talk more about it next week but there's still some things i think that can impact us next week will you talk a little bit about how the holy spirit is evident in the old testament sure Any thoughts on, on just some implications maybe you thought about or? We are totally dependent. On totally dependent everything. on God, yes. And he's 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 so active in so many ways. So God God the Father. We we worship God the Father in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's sort of covering every aspect of this that we may be caught up in God. He's also, well, yeah, any other thoughts, questions? You can ask a question. I mean, there are, there are different analogies that get thrown around. Um, but as we would already expect, any analogy is going to be heretical if you take it all the way. It may help in certain aspects. The most famous one, I think, is Tertullian, was the sun, S-U-N, the sun in the sky, this is the father. What he shines, like if he shines on this table, what he shines is Jesus. 
The spirit is the rays of sunshine. This is not bad. Better than the ice in the water. And we're going to talk more about certain other heresies. Better than ice and water. Better than like the apple, like the core and the skin. And the, I don't know. Ted, did you have? Yeah, I know. Is it? It seems likely that he's saying "our" as in the Trinity. Could it could to be fair? It could be like a royal we, or saying "our" like, yeah. I don't think it makes sense to say it's about the angelic host because we're not made in angels' image. But could you explain briefly what's wrong with the water ice thing? I don't even know the full water ice thing. It's the same chemical substance, different forms. Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking of like the, an ice cube, and then it melts to become water, and then it gets hotter and it becomes steam, that sounds like they're not working at the same time. And so we should not think, this is another heresy, we should not think that now's the time of the Spirit. So God the Father did his thing. Creation, maybe Old Testament. Then Jesus really did his thing in the Gospels. And now the Spirit's really doing his thing. That's, they're way too independent in that picture. Um, no, Christ, Christ says, I will be with you now by the Holy Spirit. He is applying Christ to us now at the Father's behest. Another, maybe one good way to think is the, God the Father is the revealer. God the Son is the revealed. And God the Spirit is the revealedness. Like the, the way that it gets revealed or received. I find that kind of helpful. I think we, when we did the doctrine of Scripture, what was it? God the Father... Preaches God the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, something like that from Packer. Was there another question? Definitely different names, different, different ways uh, to be Unitarian. I mean, basically, you're being Unitarian. So uh, Islam, Judaism, it's sort of just taking those too strongly. The big, I think the big question for us would be then what really happened with Jesus? Because to say that he's not fully God, you run into some major problems one being salvation itself. Like if God's not uh, dying in our place, he's not making up the debt. He's not bridging the gap for us. Uh, all right, I better pray us out. <clears throat>
Lord, we give you praise uh, that you are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, and that you have chosen to uh, love us and to adopt us. Lord, we do pray that uh, you would be glorified, that you would be glorified in our service uh, as we come together as your body. Uh, Lord, may you give us the ability to, to worship you, the desire to uh, glorify you, Lord, and may we see uh, your glory among us uh, in Jesus. We thank you and we pray in his name. Amen.